Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you to our worship teams everywhere at all of our campuses. Hey, take your Bible, turn to John chapter 11, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're joining us online, thank you for being here on Easter online at our campuses, Dalton and Rossville. It's just great to see you wherever you are. Thank you for being here. Now, if you're at a campus somewhere, would you make sure that you've got that connection card that you got earlier uh, uh, in your on your person, somewhere near you, in your possession? And if somebody... New set down on your row sometime since we handed those out. Make sure uh, you hand them one and uh, you've got that. We're going to use it in the service. Well, I started a sermon series to be my fifth sermon in the series. I'm actually finishing it up today on Easter. I don't normally finish a sermon series on Easter, but I'm, I'm doing it this Easter called the Q Zone, answering life's most important questions. And we've looked at, you know, uh, what are life's most important questions? Is there a God? And the, the question really was, do I want there to be a God? How do we handle suffering in our life? Do we find purpose in life? And so today, I want to deal with what I think is the most important question of them all. All of the questions we've talked about are important, but this one is one that no one in the room can get away from, and that's this. What happens when I die? It's the death question. Because the fact is, we are all going to die. The fact is, I I used to say, you know, we're all going to be wheeled in front of a church. And since COVID, we don't do it that way much anymore. That's fine. There's no prescription in the formula, uh, formula in the Bible on how to have a funeral service. But however we do it, whether we wind up in a casket or an urn or whatever it may be, we are all going to die. We all must, life demands an answer about death because you are going to die. I am going to die. Some sooner, some later, it doesn't matter. The Bible says it is appointed that a man wants to die and after this, the judgment. We're all, we all have an appointment with death. Well, that's a great way to start off an Easter sermon, preacher. I, I know it, I know it. I'm going to give you good news before it's over, but I need to let you know we're going to die. Now, depending on how you were brought up, right, depending on um, how, how your family was, a lot of times we don't like talking about death. We don't like talking about it in our home, our families, or even at church. And so we, we have these colloquialisms we use for death. And we, we say it this way, instead of saying somebody died, uh, we have other ways of saying it. And I begin to wonder, what do all these things mean? Like who, what, who are we talk, what are we talking about when we use a colloquialism for death? You say, what are you talking about? I'll, I'll give you an example. Have you ever heard the phrase, bought the farm? So, oh, Joe, he bought the farm. Well, what does that mean? It means he died. Why do we say he bought the farm? We say that. Here's where, where they tell us it came from. The etymology of that phrase is this, that they think it came from a farmer who was in debt on his farm, and when he died, he left life insurance to his family so that because of his death, they were literally able to buy the farm and pay off the debt of the farm because they died. So we came up with the phrase, bought the farm. In other words, they never had it so good till daddy died. <laughs> bought the farm. How about this phrase? 
dead as a doornail. You've heard that? That dates back to a 1350 French poem called William of Palerno. Shakespeare used that. Charles Dickens used that phrase in a Christmas carol. Guess where that phrase comes from? We have no idea. Nobody knows why we say dead as a doornail. How about this one? Six feet under? You've heard that one? Well, that came from 1665 when Lord Mayor of London demanded that during the plague, which took over 100,000 lives, he demanded that all burials, because it wasn't this way before, be buried at least six feet underground to try to stop the plague and the pestilence that was killing people by the tens of thousands. So people were buried six feet underground, and that tradition carries on till today, although I didn't know until I read this, you may know that, that um, uh, you can be buried as shallow as four feet today. So if you have a body to be buried, four feet's fine, and we're calling the police. All right, so... um, uh, uh, how about this one? Pushing up the daisies. They think that came from when you laid somebody underground, you laid them uh, uh, face uh, up. And so their toes were literally pushing the daisies up over their grave out of uh, the ground. H- how about this one? Uh, bite the dust. You heard that phrase? That came from a 1980s rock group called Queen who wrote a song called, that's, that's not true. That's not true. Some of you 80 kids like me, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I know that love don't bite the dust. No, nobody really knows. This comes from a, and I find this stuff fascinating, a 19th century English translation of Homer's Iliad. And they think it comes from this Bible verse, Psalm 72, 9. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. And so it came to be known as bite the dust. Finally, uh, have you ever heard this phrase, sleeping with the fishes? I know the grammar may not be correct, but that's the phrase, sleeping with the fishes. That dates back to an 1836 German village. That was a German village fishing town, and that's how they earned their living. And a guy came through their town who was fly fishing, and they threatened to kill him. And they said, if you don't stop that, you yourself will be sleeping with the fishes. And they didn't mean sleeping. They meant they were going to kill him and throw him in the water, feed him to the fish. I I don't care how you talk about death, how you want to soften the blow, what phrase you want to use. The Bible is very plain. And by the way, I don't even need the Bible to say this. You are going to die. And what happens to you after you die is absolutely life's most important question. There is nothing that matters more than what's going to happen when you die. And to be honest, you just can't simply walk around life with the attitude of, I hope it all works out somehow. David Bowie on his 50th, the rock singer on his 50th uh, birthday said this at a concert. He said, I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise it won't be boring. Here's a man, if you go back and watch interviews with David uh, uh, Bowie, he struggled with eternity. He struggled with death. There was a period in his life where they would interview him and some things he had written and some things he had talked about where he's absolutely struggling until he got to the point where he just gave up on it at all. And he said, I don't know where I'm going. I give up. Is that the best we can do? Is this, I'm just going to be honest, this cannot be our attitude. Well, I, I just know it, that cannot be your attitude. You are going to die. 
And when you die, you're going to spend eternity, eternity somewhere, somewhere. And you've got to have a way to reconcile that in your life. Where am I going to spend eternity? The only place I know to give an answer, and I'll talk about that more in the moment, is the Word of God. So wherever you are, in a campus somewhere, at a venue, would you stand with me as we honor God's Word by reading a very familiar story? It'll be on the screen. If you're watching at home or you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen, John chapter 11. Look in verse 17, and let me read a very, very familiar story. John 11, verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Verse 21 Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Thank you. You may be seated. Chapter 11 of the book of John is the celebrated story of bringing a dead man named Lazarus back to life. And what it does for us is it is one of the most important explorations of the subject of life and death and resurrection found anywhere in Scripture. Because up to this point... Jesus has presented himself as the giver of life throughout really the whole book of John. What do you mean, preacher? Well, when you look through John, Jesus is always talking about life. For example, he told Nicodemus that he offered him eternal life. Remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. Jesus said in John chapter three to a religious man, I'm the only one that brings eternal life. He said to the Samaritan woman at the well that he was the water of life. And he said this, he who drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Meaning that when you find the Lord Jesus, you quit looking looking for anything else. To the official son, the lame man, it, he was the restorer of life. To the hungry multitude, he was the bread of life. And again, Jesus says this, he who eats the bread that I'll give him will never hunger again. To the blind man, he was the light of life, even the light of the world. And to the sheep who followed him in John chapter 10, he offered not just life, but abundant life or superfluous life in John chapter 10. That the best life you will ever have is a life lived in relationship with Jesus Christ. It provides abundant life now, satisfied life now, and eternal life later on. It's on that subject that he strolls into John chapter 11, and Jesus says this, that he is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. To the dead man Lazarus, Jesus was offering 
resurrected life. It's the greatest miracle in the gospels. It's the greatest miracle in the book of John. It's the greatest miracle in all of life. And can I tell you three things? I want to ask you three questions maybe that we learn from this uh, story. Number one, let's talk about this. Number one, let's talk about the big question. The big question. In verse 17, he said, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now, let me tell you the story of Lazarus. Jesus is a day's journey away from Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus, his friend, who he, lo- who he loved deeply, was sick. And they dispatched family and friends to co-tell Jesus, Lazarus is sick. He was actually healing people where he was. And so they sent friends to go, literally go get Jesus, come back to Lazarus and to heal Lazarus. Well, what they didn't know, according to the timeline of the story, as soon as they left Lazarus's home, Lazarus died. They went on a day's journey to find Jesus. They said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus said, I'm on my way. But he waited two days, two days before he went back. Two days after he heard Lazarus was sick, then he struck out to see Lazarus. And when he got there, he had been dead four days. Now, the, uh, being dead four days matters. Why? The Jews believe that your spirit circled your body for three days. And then after three days, you could not even be resurrected by God. That after three days, your spirit was gone to eternity. So there was a reason Jesus waited until the fourth day. And when Jesus gets to the tomb of Lazarus, when Jesus gets to the funeral of Lazarus, there is this big question that's hovering over everybody there. Martha goes up to Jesus and she starts dabbling in this question. And she's asking Jesus, can anything be done about death? I know he's been dead four days, but but can anything be done about death? Martha wanted to know, can death be stopped? Is there a way to stop? I know it's been four days, but can death be stopped? Martha wanted to know, can death be averted? It's the same questions we have today. Can death be conquered? Can death be solved? We are spending the same questions that Martha had. The same questions the world has today. We're spending millions of dollars trying to solve the problem of death. And it was no different during Jesus's day that Martha shows up to Jesus and she's like, I want to know. I've got the question. The big question of life is, Jesus, can you do something about death? It's, it's not because we're not trying. Pharmaceutical companies are developing drugs by the day to slow down and stop the death process. We're, we're going to extreme measures. Have you, have you heard of the Alcor Corporation? The Alcor Corporation, you can see on the screen, uh, those are not hot water heaters up on the screen. Those are cryopreservation units where when people die, they put their bodies in a cryopreserved state hoping to resurrect them one day. Phoenix there, you say, nobody's doing that. Today, this one uh, cryopreservation unit has 199 people preserved in it. They'll tell you they don't know if the technology even works. When somebody dies, they are immediately brought in after the declare legally dead. They, They cool the body to below freezing temperatures. They store it in a tank, fill it with liquid nitrogen, and then just hope somebody develops a cure for death. You say, well, I, I might do that myself. Well, good luck with that. Uh, to cryopreserve an entire body, it's $200,000. It starts at two hundred. dollars I don't know what that means. Maybe there's a luxury tank with cable TV in it and it costs a little more. I don't know. 
But if you just want to preserve your brain, it's $80,000. I'll be honest. I don't see a lot of $80,000 brains as I walk around life. $80,000. They have, you say, nobody, who's doing that? The guy who developed Bitcoin, Hal Finney, is there. Probably the most famous one they have is Hall of Fame baseball player Ted Williams has his body preserved at Alcor. And here's the interesting thing. When you dig around their website, they admit that to date, they have no idea how, when, or if they could ever bring a body back to life. All of that money, all of that trouble, all of that technology, and they have no idea what they are doing. Why? Because I want to tell you the answer to the death question does not lie in science. It does not lie in philosophy. It does not lie in this world. And so what happens is typically the average person just gives up. One of the brightest minds we've ever had, Stephen Hawking, who is an atheist, said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. Here's a very intelligent man but was an atheist who just gave up on the question of life after death. Let me ask you this morning, what do you think happens to life after death? Because I want to tell you this, the world cannot produce a solution to death. Nobody's ever come back from the dead four days later and said, let me tell you what's on the other side and tell you how you can get there. Let me tell you how you never have to die. Anybody who's ever claimed to come back from the dead, you know what they've eventually done? Died. The biggest question you ought to have in your entire life is what happens when I die? You're just going to hope in men, science, the world? I'm telling you, you're barking up the wrong tree. The biggest question in life must be answered by God. Well, how does he answer it? First thing we see is the big question. The second thing we see is what I'll call the big claim. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Did you hear that? The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Can I tell you, can I summarize the claim of Christ about death in eternity? First of all, Jesus said over and over, there is life after death. He was always talking about either eternal life or eternal death. Jesus affirmed for us that there was a heaven and a hell. There are people today that would say, well, they believe in heaven, but they don't believe in hell. But yet Jesus taught more about hell than he did heaven, and he affirmed both. And the Bible does over and over again, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and both last for eternity. Jesus would also tell us that you cannot earn heaven, that you can't be good enough to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven, and bad people don't go to hell. Saved people go to heaven, unsaved people go to hell, and you cannot earn heaven. It's going to be just a few chapters from John chapter 11, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me. What does that mean? It means that you, can, you can't earn it, but you can receive it. That Jesus is the way to heaven. By the way, Jesus is not a way to heaven. 
Jesus is the only way to heaven. Despite what Oprah Winfrey told us a couple decades ago in her show that kind of became viral, she said, I believe all roads lead to heaven. The Bible has nothing to do with that, and that can't even be true. There's only one road to heaven. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And listen to this, no man comes unto the Father but by me. The big claim of Jesus is that you can go to heaven, you can live eternally, but you only get to heaven through Jesus Christ. You say, well, how in the world, what gives him the right to make that claim? I'll tell you what does. He made that claim and he substantiated that claim and he affirmed that claim because he himself was about to rise from the dead himself. And we're going to look in just a moment. You know what he did? He predicted his death, his burial, and three days later, he rose from the dead. We're terrible at predictions. Just to separate God from us, we're terrible. I went back and I looked at what people thought 2023 was going to be like in 1923, 100 years ago. I found some newspaper clippings. For example, this newspaper clipping said there would be no more hard work by 2023. And the work day would only be four hours long. I'll let you take that up with your boss. The second thing was a fashion prediction. They said in 2023, women will blacken their teeth and men will have curls in their hair. They're about half right on that one nowadays. Um, I won't go there, but uh, they, they predicted this one. Doctors will pre- prevent diseases and all people will be beautiful. Hey, do me a favor. Let's take a time out from my sermon. This doesn't count for sermon time. Let's take a time out. Just look to the people to your left and your right. Would you do me a favor? Just do it real quickly. Just don't say anything. Just look. I'll let you determine if this one came true or not. All right. Um, um, This one, people are going to live to be 300 years old. We're not even close. And this one, um, people will communicate with watch size radio telephones. Siri, call my wife. I'll t- turn that off before it does. That was not so wrong. I mean, there were some claims about 2023 that were close, and there were some that not, are not close at all. We can't trust our predictions. Let me show you what Jesus predicted. Here's what Jesus predicted in John chapter 2. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Now, when Jesus was standing at the actual temple, but the Bible tells us he wasn't referring to the temple temple. He was referring to the temple of his body. And so Jesus said, destroy my body, kill me, and I will raise it up three days later. Jesus said that all the way back in John chapter 2. Jesus said, I'll rise from the grave. And then we see Luke 24, 6, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He is not here, but he has risen. Jesus made the prediction, I am the conqueror of death. I am the bringer of life. I am the resurrection. And he proved it by rising from the grave. And that's why we know this. The resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is a person. Martha said, I know he's going to rise at the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, you don't don't have to worry about the theology of the resurrection on the last day. 
Don't worry about the resurrection, worry about the resurrector. And Jesus said, I am he. The resurrection is not an event, it's a person and the person's name is Jesus. And the big claim of Jesus is this, if you put your trust in him, you have the answer to life's final biggest question. How can he make that claim? He makes that claim because of what we celebrate today. Three days later, Jesus got up from the dead. That leads me to number three. And it's what I'll call the big decision. I I love that Jesus made his claim. And then he called her immediately to a faith decision. He said this, hear, hear me. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's it. That's the big claim. That's the big claim. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He looks at Martha, his friend, and he says, do you believe this? That's the big decision before you today. Jesus said, the only people that will live are the people who live and believe in me They will never die. Oh, this body may pass from this earth, but they go from temporary life to eternal life if you live and believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, his claim is your body will go from uh, death physically to death eternally. But if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. Psalm 23 said it this way. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The decision is this, do you believe this? You cannot hear that claim and walk away from that claim with making a decision. So you really only have two two thoughts today. Number one, you can do nothing and hope. You, You can sit here, ignore the claim, and just hope everything works out in the end. And by the way, it's where the majority of the world is. The majority of the world is just hoping it all works out somehow in the end. Or you can trust Jesus and have hope. Now, in those two phrases, hope is different. Here, hope is a verb. Here, hope is a noun. When you trust Jesus, you have the hope that is within you. Trust the one who resurrected himself. Trust the one who promises to resurrect you. Have the hope of heaven in your heart and have eternal life. And here's what Jesus would say if he were preaching, that's your decision today. You can do nothing and just hope it all works out or you can trust Jesus and have the hope. Either way, either way, either way, you're putting your hope in something. You say, preacher, I, I don't, you know, I'm not putting my faith in Jesus. How, how crazy is that? What's your faith in? Well, I don't have faith. You, you sure do. If you're not going to put it in Jesus, you've got it in yourself. That you know better than he knew? That you know better than everybody else who's trusted him knows that testifies once you know Jesus, your life has changed? Or you're putting your hope in somebody else who says this is the way to go? No. If I've got to put my hope somewhere, I'm not going to put it in me. I'm going to put my hope in Jesus.
Close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. It's time for you to make a decision today. What is your hope in? I wondered last year, I was exploring about death and I kind of ran across this about people who make money after they die. I know all of us like to leave a little nest egg to our family, but, but nest egg doesn't describe what these, uh, I'll show you 10 people and I'll do it real quickly. How much money they made in 2022, they were dead. For example, Charles Schultz from Peanuts made $24 million last year, but he was dead, right? Jeff Porcaro, who was the drummer for the 80s rock group Toto, and he was the drummer on the Thriller album from Michael Jackson, made $25 million last year, dead. Dr. Seuss made $32 million. Leonard Cohen, Canadian singer, poet, novelist, made $55 million last year. Michael Jackson made $75 million deceased last year. But James Brown topped him. James Brown made $100. And then this guy, I don't really know who he is, but he made $110 million last year deceased. When did he die? 1976, seven, somewhere in there? I knew somebody would know, 77. <laughs> like, like, it's close, 210. David Bowie, I just talked about, $250 million. Top two, Kobe Bryant made $400 million deceased. And you know who number one is? You'd never guess it if you didn't know. Hear me say it last night. I'm going to put the picture up. You still don't know who it is. J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, been dead for decades, made $500 million last year. $500 million. Do you know what's better than earning $500 million after you die? Not dying. If I gave you the choice between $500 million or staying alive, every one of us would go the BG route and we would stay alive. That's the big decision before you today. Do you want to stay alive? Do you want to stay alive? There's only one way for that to happen. It's putting your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. He's the words himself. And it's your decision just now. Wherever you are, whatever campus, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that great message. And maybe you right now with Pastor Joel prayed to receive Christ. You heard and understood the gospel and you prayed to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Right now, next door, dozens of people are responding to the gospel and we wanna give you that same opportunity. We've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. If you prayed with Pastor Joel to receive Christ, click on that link it's gonna ask you just a couple of questions. Fill out that form, it'll send an email to me personally, and I'd love to connect with you this week and tell you how you can take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. There is no better day than Resurrection Sunday to give your heart and life to Christ. It has been so awesome to be together worshiping with you online. I look forward to our time together each week. Hey, join us again next week if this is your very first Sunday and we can't wait to see you. Have a great week. God bless you. 
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.